How's it, everyone? Uh, welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree, South Africa's most eclectic podcast. I don't know if we can make that claim, but uh, but um, uh, I think we should go with it for now. Uh, I'm half of your host. Uh, we are the most illustrious thorn tree based podcast. In yeah, the that's country. definitely true. That is uh, true. That's a damn uh, true. Uh, possibly in the world, although I haven't fully categorized every thorn tree based podcast in the world. Um, you know, the 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 like a full history of the acacia tree podcast might give us a bit of a run for our money there. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I listen to that; it's great. We're starting with um, our recommendations. Yeah, yeah there you go. Also, Jacaranda FM. If Jacaranda FM has a podcast, then it's kind of close competition. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, it's not quite the same. But anyway, I'm half of your co-host, Nicholas Larimer, and this is the other half of your co-host, Gabriel Krauser. How's it? How's it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, we are recording again on Monday. Uh, you, I'm not sure what you did this weekend, Gabriel, but uh, I know that you were uh, mysteriously occupied, or at least you seemed that way. It was was that the case? Yeah, I was. I was mainly just writing furiously, actually. Um, it was one of those weeks where I sort of, I don't know, I almost had a piece published every day in some other platform. Um, so it felt oh, like I was weekend. really productive. But then instead of celebrating on the weekend, I got a, I got a call from the boss on Friday saying there's a project that I've been working on that I need to finish. So then I did a bit of that. So sorry, I didn't answer my, you know, to all my friends out there, I have about three <laughs> friends. Sorry, I didn't respond to the WhatsApps. Okay. How was your weekend? No, no, no. no from mine, mine was very relaxed. And uh, that was what was so uh, wonderful about it. So I didn't really have to think. And then I sort of thought on Sunday, I'm missing something in my life, and it's uh, it's a it's it's a thorn tree and my uh, cricket compadre. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, anyway. So, sorry, last night last night we had no power, and then we also had a little bird <laughs> that that uh, that kind of got stuck in the house, and then the two puppies that try to eat the little bird, and then I try to keep the puppy separate from the bird, and then the bird was stuck in one corner, but I couldn't grab it, and the puppies were like stuck in another corner, and they were hiding under furniture. Yeah. And it was like I had a broomstick. This is the second time and, you've had to save animals from being eaten by dogs. Yeah. Also, there was a lamb. There was a sheep that gave birth to a lamb on Friday. And the dogs nearly went after the freshly born lamb. And so then we put the dogs on the other side. And then they went after a chicken. And you just heard this like mad cluck clucking. And it was the second time. And Elena was actually <laughs> first to get the chicken. And when I arrived... There were just feathers everywhere. Yes, <laughs> so many feathers. Like one of those playgirl parties where they're like hitting each other with feather pillows and there's like a thousand of them and, and it's feathers everywhere. But the chicken is alive. In fact, un completely uninjured. Feathers, very useful because uh, the little puppy dog's teeth can't get through. So You see, that's a fun fact that uh, you wouldn't get on any other podcast unless it was, I suppose, a specifically chicken-related podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so uh, fun fact about uh, our, our, our glorious country, if it indeed, is a country, uh, we're not sure. We're trying to figure out. I reckon if you have elections, you might be a country. So we find a lot well, of reasons to not think South Africa is a country, but elections seem very country-ish. Yeah, so of course, we, we had a whole bunch of elections last year, uh, you know, because they were all suspended because of COVID. And as a result, they held 95 of them on the same day. Um, which is I don't think ever really happened before in the country's history. So we basically had a mini local government election. Um, 
And there were a bunch of stories that came out of it. And one of them, the one most of the media decided to run with was DA decimated ANC hold strong. Um, which, which has a grain of truth. Which has a grain of truth. The DA definitely lost the most awards. Um, and uh, they, uh, they, saw, they took a beating in a, in, a, in a bunch of wards that they really shouldn't have. Um, so Let's just quickly say about wards. Something that's interesting about wards, you know, coming from, so I'm 31 years old and I voted for the first time in 2019. Uh, so I'm one of those youth who didn't vote as a youth. Uh, one, one of the terrible sort of leeches on society uh, that just complains when other people make bad decisions, but uh, does literally nothing about it. Anyway, so it's all kind of new to me. And it was kind of interesting for me to realize that wards are the closest thing in a way that we have to... Uh, a direct democracy kind of representative, right, proper proper constituency stuff. Um, just to just to shame you here, uh, I voted in every single election since I turned eighteen. In fact, I was lucky enough to vote in the twenty eleven uh, election because the election was two days after my eighteenth birthday. <laughs> I stood in line to vote. <laughs> Nicely done, Nick. Okay, well, you also you've also been elected, so you're like definitely yes. much more of a grown up than me. Yes. The second time I voted, context. I voted for my. Oh, the third time I voted, I voted for myself. <laughs> it was well very done. Strange. So, as a ward councillor, so as a ward councillor, you represent like a little suburb of people, yeah, yeah. and they kind of know you, and then and you know their issues, and it's not like right. going. Right. You stand for a party, but it's you, it's not actually a party that's being elected. It's like you're being elected. Indeed, um, and and you have a you have quite an intimate relationship with your residents. I mean, you really. You know, they have your number and your email address and they call you all the time. <laughs> and um, so you kind of get to know. Well, your I think this is a I think this is a 2080 thing, like 20 percent of them call you. 80 yeah, 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 no, 100 percent. In fact, I'd say it's even less than that. I'd say very small groups of people tend to uh, call you a lot. Um, and yeah, so. You're sub uh and so you really are, I think, probably in a lot of ways, the first line of contact that a lot of people have with government outside of, you know, the home affairs queue or the traffic cop. Yeah. Um, and that means that, that ward councillors are in a very sort of strange position because technically they're not actually that powerful. Um, you know, they're supposed to be sort of advisory members who represent your community in the legislature. They... They do have power to to change things by changing bylaws, by firing people in the top of the city administration. But they don't actually, you know, they don't command the local depot or whatever and say, you will fix this pothole now or else you will be fired. No, they're much more sort of, they're more like kind of observers in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. observers and, 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 and referees. Um, now this is starting to sound like South Africa again to me. Having yes. a job of oversight but without being able to fire people who don't do their job right that feels like so, home in theory uh it's quite easy right because all you would say is you'd make a call to the head of that department and say well this official in this ward is not performing well and my constituents are very unhappy so i want you to take immediate action and the official would go yes 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 i'll make sure they are disciplined immediately thank you for helping me with this solid evidence but of course what happens is um no one gets fired people occasionally get shuffled around uh, <laughs> and then things don't work. However, that's not yeah, that's not always the case. There is an interesting phenomenon whereby suburban ward councillors uh, and sort of more middle class ward councillors tend to kind of 
there's 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 more i would say a rules-based order in the wards they work in and so they seem to have less they, they seem to have less power than a lot of uh, ward councillors in particularly i would say townships although probably not rural areas because in rural areas chiefs tend to outshine um ward right. councillors but right. but but that, yeah that's that's a separate issue so in Soweto, you'll find board councillors often way outstepping the boundaries of what they're allowed to do, you know. Um, and they do that mostly through sort of political patronage networks rather than actually through necessarily the law. Um, but, you know, you'll have to... What, do you, what do you have in mind? So, you know, if you want to open uh, Shabin or build something, the local ward councillor will basically kind of use um, the community of the heavies or possibly uh, connections into government, of course, those are ANC yeah. councillors for the most part, to sort of uh, flex political muscles. So sometimes ward councillors are a lot more important in poorer areas, um, particularly, uh, you know. In, um, in, in like high density. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I hear you. I hear you. So part, of, so part of why this is important to understand is that for the DA to lose nine wards uh and hold 25 in this sort of by-election cycle where 95 were were going is is it's a distressing sign of uh a loss of faith in the in this sort of very close intimate direct constituency kind of sense there was a narrative of course kind of sort of spinning out um of, of of a lot of the the media intelligentsia types who were sort of saying, ah, oh, well, you see, they embraced non-racialism, they elected a white leader, and now uh, coloured voters are not voting for them anymore because they think it's a white, racist white party. Um, there, was, there, was a, right. there was a little bit of spinning of that out there. So that was one thesis. The other thesis is that now they're against BEE. You know, there's this, there's this great widespread idea that if you're for non-racialism, uh, not judging people by the color of their skin, but rather by the content of their character, and in particular for equality before the law, so that it's not you're not legally obliged to consider Cyril Ramaphosa to be disadvantaged uh, if if you're doing business with him or if he quits the presidency tomorrow and comes and applies to a job for you. Right now, you legally have to be like, oh, poor guy, I have to give him a leg up because he's disadvantaged. Right. <laughs> so so that seems crazy. Um, I think it is crazy. It's hard to imagine. Anyway, uh, but that's the law and the DA is opposing that. And that's gotten a lot of people very confused. They're like, well, if you're against race-based law, then you must think race (laughs) does not exist. Or you must, you must like, do you have to cover your eyes so that you don't know how other people look? Or do you have to ignore (laughs) actual racism? Like if you can't, if you don't want to judge people by race, does that mean you're not allowed to judge racists? Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of confusion about what non-racialism means coming from the more, from the kinds of people whose job it is to understand politics, which is which is also hilarious. Like right. I have I have this- spoken to like farm workers and and petrol t- attendants here in the Free State, and none of them are confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's. So uh, as as misguided as stupid as an intellectual, I can't remember who, who said that, but uh, there, there's a yeah. quote from from someone about that. There was there was also there was also this whole um, kind of vibe coming off from some media commentators. I'm thinking particularly here of uh, of Davy Schultz, who's often quite good at crunching 
numbers in by-elections, comparing them to various other times. Um, yeah. He he kind of said the current in, uh, incantation, what, what, what was it? Uh, whatever. Uh, you know the word I'm looking for. The current, the current version of the DA is not yeah. one that will win in this country. And he, he sort of meant there based on, um, and I'm reading this, is based on other things he's been saying, that this is kind of, the DA's taken a turn that it's like Donald Trump now. And it's all... Uh, That's the other thing people like to right, say. So non-racism yeah, right. is Trumpian. If you're against right. PE, that means you must be for Trump and race blind. And uh, I don't and know. They're, they're being, like, they're being too nice to these uh, these pod bros, as they call them, which is people like Roman Kabanak. Um and they're they're just being kind of right wing, and it's just it's just that's wrong. That's why people aren't yeah. voting for them. That was kind of the yeah. thesis. Okay, um, so those are the two theses. They are too white, and they're too they're too right. Yes. Uh, yes. Or otherwise, the way we put it in our piece, we wrote a piece together. Was you know, if you want to understand why the DA failed, just look at John Steenhazen's face or apartheid's disgrace. Uh, yes. That that'll explain the DA's failure, and and we. I suppose we bumped heads and we were like, this just doesn't line up with, 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 with how I've come to understand ward elections right. uh, through my relationship with Nicholas. Like speaking with him about his miserable time as a ward councillor and his very <laughs> exciting time as a ward councillor. It was the best of times and the worst of times. Yes. Um, <laughs> it just made me think there's this very close relationship. Like why would people be voting why would so much change on the basis of national level alterations uh at the at this most uh intimate level and so yeah. to 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 figure out if what's going on is a national narrative is driving the da down or whether something else is going on we kind of looked a little bit further into the numbers and we found that actually the DA hadn't lost proportionally that much of the vote. It only lost 0.8% versus the ANC, which lost like something like 30%. Yeah, as, as uh, compared so in, to 2019, uh, where of course they did yeah. have a, they did go backwards. So, uh, you know, the, one of the reasons that there's been differing narratives on on how this election should be viewed um, is if you compare this to the DA in 2016, it looks really bad because the DA did fantastically in 2016. It was their best ever result in an election. But then if you compare them to 2019, <clears throat> well, the bot fell out, but they really didn't do well. Yeah. So so there's confusing narratives. We're not sure, is this defined by national level or is this defined at local level? And so we try to look into some of the local level cases. And maybe I'll start with George, where I'd come across these headlines, I suppose, yeah, in, the, in the run of the world. <laughs> Georg, okay. The <laughs> yes. fantastic town of Georg. Uh, I, I think that. it was so, it was Pickbutter uh, or someone's constituency seat back during apartheid. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure, but it was some it was some national party bigwig, and there was an attempt by some point to make it less English sounding, and so to pronounce the town Ghor. Yeah, no, they literally. Anyway, <laughs> I know I know someone who comes from Ghor who calls it Ghor, but he does it with his tongue in his cheek. Yes. Um, so so what happened there is that Ghor had great clean audits for a long time. Like a lot of DA places, and by the way, you know the reason the local level constituency stuff matters is because at municipal level, the DA's big selling card is like like us or those on on a policy basis, we really can offer much cleaner administration. Right, and and, and that's that been is borne out by results. the fact that they've they've taken over councils, like they right. had almost no councils, no provincial. Uh, they lost the Western Cape, and then when they regained it, there were dirty audits, and then they cleaned them up. 
uh, year by year, they just got more and more clean audits, more and more unqualified clean audits with no comments and so on and so forth. So, and rest in yeah. peace to our former auditory auditor general, uh, Kimi, who, who passed away very recently. He did a he did a stellar job. Anyway, so looking at Khorg, it had clean audits until about 2017, 2018, that financial year. And then it got its first uh, nasty findings uh, of wasteful and irregular expenditure. And just before that came out, but I suppose far enough into the time that it would have been clear to the mayor's office, the mayor of Georg, uh, one Nayak, I can't remember his first name, he 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 came out with a, a great statement. He said, "I'm gonna. We need to stand up against what is right." So Oof. it's a it's a fantastic <laughs> Freudian slip, guys. Everyone needs to stand up with me against what is right. And uh, and his issue was that the Boston Gay Choir was coming to sing in Georg, and he thought that that was wrong, so he wanted to stand against it. Uh, uh, and he, and he meant so that's to say not he, very in keeping with the whole liberal party thing that the DA is going for. No, so I don't know. Maybe there's room for that. I, mean, I don't know. Mashaba sometimes dog whistles in the xenophobia thing. Maybe a bit of like homophobia dog whistling goes with xenophobia dog whistling. Maybe Nike's got a a, a future there. Who knows? Who knows? So, sorry, can I just can I just also say that it's great that George had a mayor called George. Oh, he was George Nike. Yes. Yes. Very good. That's why I forgot it because it's too good. So George Nike, <laughs> mayor of George, or Nike, uh, he says he says we've got to stand up against what's right. So that's getting a lot of bad press uh, from the DA's point of view. And then the dirty audits come out, and then investigations start to get going. And partly the party's quite worried itself. And then in 2019, the auditor general says, "Look, you're really failing on 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 dealing with consequences of previous failures." Uh, which means, you know, you're not, there's no accountability happening here. Like you, there, you, we, we've flagged issues where there's been crazy expenditure and you haven't dealt with that. And there's more bad expenditure. Then in 2020, at the start of the year, uh, back before the plague, when it looked like 2020 might actually be a pretty stellar year, uh, the DA came forward and said, we're going to clean up shop. And we've got prima facie evidence that, uh, uh, Georg Naik, the mayor, and four others are, are guilty of all kinds of uh, of bad stuff amounting to 90 million rand of, uh, of let's just say, corruption. And so you got to go. And then he said, no, I don't want to go. I'm never going to go. And he pulled a bit of a Patricia right. DeLille line. You know, you guys are just targeting me. And then they said, no, evidence. And then he said, no, you know, let's go to court first. And then they said, no, the way the DA works is if there's prima facie evidence, you get fired. Then you go to court. If you prove right. your innocence, then you can come back. You don't stay working. You don't get to be Jacob Zuma, be the president, right. and, the, and this be is in something, court for ten years. That's not how we work. Something, We're the yeah, other this party. Is, That's this the is something that the the, 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 the DA. <laughs> this is something the DA wasn't really good at, kind of getting across when they tried to get rid of Delil. Um, they found evidence that she had SMS someone to say, you "Appoint this person to a committee uh, to a." Uh, a, a body, uh, not this person, which was interfering with the process and was illegal and and amounted to basically corruption, right? That's really solid evidence that she's never been able to explain. But the TA sort of made the story a bit complicated and kept saying, oh, this is a process going on and we're getting her out now and all this. And they really muddled their own message on it to the point where a lot of people just had no idea why they were firing Patricia DeLille. It just looked like factionalism. Yeah, exactly. And so they were trying to get ahead of that in this one and 
and it it pretty much worked. So most of the caucus in George, they voted out the mayor and he was suspended from the party and uh, evidence was taken to the Hawks and they have, in fact, just recently, um, Nike had his first day in court. So, you know, right. proper prosecutions are happening and we'll see how they turn. Anyway, in the meanwhile, the issue is that three of the DA councillors, ward councillors of the 27 or so, or however many it was, um, in George were on Nike's side and they said, no, nah, you're just going after the guy because he's colored and you're a racist and, you know, right, this is right. Delil all over again and this is factionalism and this is terrible. And so they were fired. You're, uh, you know, the DA was like, you have broken party line, so you're fired. Yeah, and there's... that's what triggered the by-election. When you fire a ward council like that, then there's got to be an election to get a new councillor. The, the party can't just parachute in a new person because it's got right. this constituency basis. And so that's why you had these three by-elections and George and the DA won two of them, but it lost one of them. And that just seems to make perfect sense to me. Firstly, George has clearly had big problems. So people are angry and confused. Sec well, they're angry. Secondly, there's confusion because in this country, there is so little accountability that half the time someone gets arrested, I do wonder... <laughs> If it's just because it's they, yeah. yeah, they're not part of the winning team, right? And like and, with and Esma Khashoggi right now, do you think? Do you think Esma Khashoggi? Do you think <laughs> there's that much more hard evidence against him than David Mabuza? Tell me now. Do you think the difference? Do you think the primary difference between Esma Khashoggi and David Mabuza is the preponderance of evidence? Do you think the primary difference? No, not Esma not Khashoggi not really. Although, but is the preponderance of evidence. Right, right. I, so, so, so I agree with you. Although I do think that Ace Makashula is probably a little bit particularly brazen, and I also think he's not as clever as Devon Mabuza, which probably contributes to the thing. But yes, I agree with you there. He really doesn't, you know, he's not more obviously guilty. He's not obviously more guilty than everyone else. It's not a one-to-one -one correlation of evidence to likelihood right. that you're going to get right. charged. But Abilet Lamini is fine because she took the golden handshake and left. <laughs> David Mabuse is fine because he's the deputy president. He's a kingmaker. So you must either walk out so like you don't like want to humor. mess with him. <laughs> yeah. But if you, yeah, Esma Khashoggi is in the wrong place. I was speaking to a, a Sutu guy who said there was an old story that that the Sutus were, were very mighty as long as they stayed in the mountains. And then if you go down from the mountain to Chwane, then you lose your, your superpowers. He said the problem with Ace is that he went down. He, he left the mountain. He was here in the free state, and it, and in this free state, he was very strong. But then he went to, to Pretoria, and he overestimated his strength there. And so now right. he, he is the scapegoat. Anyway, we, we, we're trying to talk about local-level elections, and we're getting a little bit lost. But it's just important to understand that I don't think it's unreasonable for some significant number of people in that ward, which is a very small little place with like a 1,000 residents, to have heard relentless badgering and like no the da is just doing because it's because it's faction fighting and the people haven't actually been uh found guilty by a court yet and in the meanwhile patricia delil who has exactly the credibility for this story because as you say the charges against her were botched by the da and subsequently she left and managed to denounce the party as racist and then get promoted into cabinet by the anc right and there her constituent her ward candidate is saying well guys you know if you if you want more Patricia DeLille's around and less DA around, then vote for me. And she managed to scrape through. Yeah, and, a very, and look, very I, I'm sure there was that just seems reasonable. 
I'm sure there was also a bit of playing the sort of race card in the sense that it would, there was a bit of ethnic mobilization stuff there. Like, oh, you see these these white outsiders are trying to crack down on us and keep us down. And if you vote for us, you'll show them that coloreds are strong and can't be kept down. And I'm sure there was a little bit of that going on in the background too, which yeah. is never but nice, but it, it does it does work sometimes in South Africa. As we it does know. work sometimes in some places, but it doesn't say much about colored people. Like if you bump into no, a colored not. dude on the street, they're not from George. It's like a, it's one <laughs> suburb of George. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, okay, so that's one. Case. And it, and it wasn't. So and we, crucially, it wasn't. It wasn't based on the whole. Uh, it's because the DA has embraced non-racialism. <laughs> I'm sure no. that that was probably never mentioned in that entire by-election. No, no. I I I read the George Herald. I read mm. every edition that mentioned the DA in the build-up to that election. That did not come up. So right. that's one thing. And, and what did come up was like all this, all the guffuffles between Nike yeah. and, 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 and municipal and, manager. And, and I mean, can I also just say that vo- that is one thing voters hate, especially in the DA, is when they see infighting. Because a lot of DA voters they like orderliness and they like efficiency. Right, they think they they hold those principles really high up, and when a party fights internally, which is sometimes an important and good thing, um, voters absolutely despise it. They think that it's rubbish and that it should stop immediately, and people should just sort out their differences and stop fighting. Yeah, and I think that's because they see that the ANC, they're like the ANC can get away with infighting because the ANC is in charge you don't of vote everything. for the anc for yeah it's <laughs> they have a different value proposition choice it's a, exactly it's a different value proposition and if you're going for the da then you want like a credible opposition and and splintering is your worst nightmare okay so let's go from there to the northwest where there are two uh little municipalities um one of which is right on the border of the sorry we're going to the northern cape and on the in the Northern Cape on the border with Northwest, there's a tiny little municipality. I think it's called Pokwane, which is the smallest municipality in the Northern Cape. And it has like... Uh, oh, no, you're confusing them. Uh, Renosterburg is the small one. Pokwane is the bigger one. Okay, so Renosterburg is the small one. And, and this is a really sad case because basically what happened there is that there are only seven seats on the council. So there are four wards. The DA had two wards. The ANC had two wards. But because of the proportional side of the system, the ANC had two extra seats and the DA one extra seat. So the ANC had a commanding majority. And that place hasn't had a clean audit since, I don't know, since God was a child. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. it then also, since Ramaphosa came to power, it literally didn't even hand in an audit. Like it went right. from at least, you know, there's that thing of handing in your homework, but it's not great. And then there's the other thing of just like not handing it in at all. Anyway, that's where they've come right. to in the last two years. And it's clearly not a good sign. And so the, the, there was, there was ructions and there was tensions. And this is the place where they had um, a, a debt to ESCOM of 22 million rand. And that debt in the last three, and then and in 2016, they had a debt of 22 million rand to ESCOM, basically because guys are paying their rates and that money is not necessarily always going through to ESCOM. And then also because other people aren't paying their rates and then there's nowhere for the municipality to get the money from to cover that loss. And that's a pretty standard story. And in 2016, the DA filed official complaints and tried to go through the process to get the municipality under the ANC mayor to at least explain how they're going to right the wrong. And he said... We've got a plan. And they said, that's great. What's the plan? And he said, no, 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 no. We've got a plan. We can't tell you the plan. <laughs> We've got it. 
if we tell yeah. you, then you've, we've got the plan. Don't worry about it. We've got it. And then the DA was like, this is literally the opposite of transparent and accountable leadership. And the ANC said, what? And then things <laughs> got worse. And by now, they've got 90 million rand debt, which means like a population of 1,000. That's quite impressive, actually. For such a small community, if you think about like what the average cost of electricity per person is. Sorry, you, like you 1, cut out there a little bit. How much, how much is the, 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 the debt? 89 million. <laughs> From 22 oh in 2016. So in with three, a, four years, eleven thousand people in the in the in the municipality. That's quite a less deal. than eleven thousand. They're racking it up. I mean, the ratio of bills that are getting paid to bills that are not getting paid is astonishing. Anyway, it got to the point that guys are just so fed up that the DA and the ANC made a little coalition, and they and they kept trying and they kept trying, and finally they got the mayor to show up to the Renosterberg Municipality Council, and as soon as he showed up, they basically fired him, and instated an ANC mayor and the DA was very strong behind him. They were like, this guy's a bit of a reformer. And then he called it, well, already there was this municipal manager, but he got behind this municipal manager who has got a very strange and illustrious history. His name is Hoogbart, high beard. And this guy was like the mayor of Eden. He like, he's gotten three DA guys in, in fired from Eden. Then he went to Ladysmith and he got like ANC guys fired. Then he went to Canal land, which is sort of where the Koi have a municipality in the Western Cape and then he got some more feathers badly ruffled. And so he's just like a troublemaker. And I don't know if it's for good or bad, but I assume that it's for good because anytime, you know, anytime I hear someone's got fired or got arrested, I do kind of get excited. And then part of me is like, hold on, is this just back? <laughs> yeah. But I do definitely start out with that's a, that's great. That's a change. That's great. Anyway. So he got in there and he called in for a forensic audit, which would, you know, produce all of the evidence. Then you could basically let the auditor generals, you know, you can let those guys go wild and, uh, and not wait for the papers to come in. They can go look for stuff and, uh, and potentially SARS can get involved in that too. And, and they can figure out uh, who exactly misappropriated the funds. Where did the 60 million rand go? Little very dirt poor community. And, and who can go to jail, which would be lovely. Okay, so then what happens is, so that's kind of looking good. It's looking like this, this, this weird thing that we talk about at the IRR that so many people in the mainstream I don't think are very ready to listen to, which is that the DA and the ANC can coalesce. In fact, that was one of the great promises of 2017. And there's this sort of um, scenario that that some people did consider, but I think not seriously enough and has been too quickly forgotten, in which Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma wins at Nazarek. It was such a close run thing. She easily could have won. She had won yes. in Nazarek and Ramaphosa was a true patriot. He would have, which is an if, but if he were, he would have then left the ANC, said it's irredeemable, having one Zuma after another, mm -mm, it's too much. And he would have started his own party and he would have eaten half of the ANC's vote at least. Uh, or let's say half the ANC's vote uh, in the 2019 national election. And it would have been a very confusing thing. But for... The, the ANC that remained would have definitely gone into coalition with the EFF. Right. And the ANC, the new party that Ramaphosa... The Ramaphosa ANC, have, yeah. The, the Ramaphosa party, 
if it wanted to get into power, would have to go into coalition with the DA. And 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 anti-top insiders that I know were thinking about that very seriously. Yes. And unfortunately, the, one of the guys that I know who was thinking about that very seriously and actually found it to be a potentially appetizing proposition has subsequently basically been frozen out completely. But but that was, you know, this this is a small little ward council example of how genuine reformers in the ANC and DA people can really get along. But then what happened is the municipality was dissolved <laughs> by the premier's office. Yeah, because of the premier of the Northern Cape is a very close friend of Ramaphosa and he was accused of COVID corruption in the Sunday Times and then two days later they issued an apology which is like a stellar turnaround if you if you remember the rogue unit story the Sunday Times published basically for a year before they apologized so he's got major clout and he is you know if you want to look at a new age new dawn reformer I would say he's he's like up there as as one of the tops because the Northern Cape is exactly the kind of place that's small enough and that was bad enough that Ramaphosa could send in one of his guys to be in charge and 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 prove the point that we can turn the ship around. So maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe it turns out that the DA guys were super corrupt and the ANC guys are corrupt and they voted out another corrupt guy, but it's all just nonsense. And so he shuts the thing down, puts it into administration. In the meanwhile, it triggers a by-election, but he's not really going to give it power back and he's going to keep running from the premier's office and it's going to be great. That's one theory. The other theory is there are reports coming from Renosberg that the sewage tanks have, are starting to overflow because they're not being replaced, that no one's picking up the rubbish, that the power outages for 16 hours a day for people have continued. In the three months when the DA-ANC coalition was going there, uh, the D- a DA member of parliament reported that they were actually for the first time paying all of their ESCOM bills every month. That seems to have stopped happening again. So it does seem like the wheels have come off. I'm not right. sure what to make of it because I don't know who to trust. But, And that's part of the reason that I feel like the DA lost one of the two wards that they had there. And maybe that's just because people are super confused. Uh, and they're super confused because the DA was trying something, but it didn't really work out. And it's not really its fault because it wasn't calling the shots. The premier ended up calling the shots. And all I can say to that is, you know, they've got a year now between this election and the full uh, you know, there's going to be ward elections, municipal elections everywhere again next year. Right. Yeah. Every one. everyone who's just been elected has to be re-elected uh, in probably it's going to be October next year uh, yeah. when they hold the next elections. So it's a short time, but it's a long enough time that you can see if there's a real difference. And I've right. got a feeling. I remember when I saw that little blue dot show up on on the map uh, in 2016. It is a proud thing for the, for the DA to grow into other promises. It's an important thing for them to show that they can stretch past the Western Cape and parts of Gauteng. And Indeed. the Northern Cape is key to that. So it was nice to see the blue dot from a like diversity of parties perspective. And it's shimmering away. But if they, if, if they follow that and they invest a little bit of resources into making the case if the ANC screws up, then it looks to me very competitive for them to win it back next year. And on the other hand, if the ANC pulls all off a new dawn revolution, if the sun finally rises in that part of the country rather than sets like it has been everywhere else, then good for them and keep the ward. I really, you know, that's how democracy works. The ANC must keep it if they right. can get it right, and they must lose it if they get it wrong. I think it's also worth saying that historically the, the DA has has struggled a lot, I think, in the Northern Cape. Um, the politics there can often be 
quite difficult to sort of discern from the from the outside because it's very i think more so than in a lot of other places in the country uh, the politics there is very very local um i think it's affected probably less by national trends and other things and so you've seen weird things in the northern cape like uh you know cope for example <laughs> had a very big presence in the northern cape um it was one of their better provinces uh and there were there's complicated coalition governments all the time there that sort of fall apart like like this like the story of of, of Renostburg. Um, but also there's, uh, you know, I've heard many times though that there's actually not as much differences between the parties, all the parties there, um, than there are in other parts of the country. Uh, and that people move a lot more easily between uh, various parties there because it is so local. You know, uh, whatever the national party's position is on anything doesn't really matter. Exactly. And that's why a national party, he means, he doesn't mean the NP. No, I don't uh, mean the NP. I mean the, I mean the, <laughs> the larger party that, yeah, the larger body that it belongs uh, to. Yeah. yeah, no, it seems if everything I can tell, it's personality driven rather than policy driven. And you pe- people in the desert are just looking for someone who's next to them who's got the right personality to then uh, go above into a position of power. And that's why I like Hochbart, who we couldn't write about because it's too hard to figure him out. But he has, I mean, he's been on the right and on the wrong side of like every major political party in the country. <laughs> and that just, and. He's been like pushed around from 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 pillar to post, and finally he's found like a really good place to get his teeth stuck into, and it's the Northern Cape, and it just makes sense to me because it's so local. <laughs> so let's yeah. just quickly hop to the other Northern Cape place, which was Pokwane, which is much bigger. The DA had one out of out of nine wards or something like that, uh, and then they lost it. So they were never really in control. They never really made a difference, and then they lost. I think that speaks to. Uh, an issue that's kind of interesting at a very local level. Like, what do you do if you are the only gay Eskimo, as the song used to go? Like, if you if you very <laughs> in your tribe, like if you're in the middle of the desert and there's just one little ward that's DA and it's never enough to make a difference, like maybe people are going to get tired of voting for it because the system is not well designed for for one ward councillor out of on out of twenty seats out of nine ward councillors and another 10 seats to to make a real difference. Right. So it's it's kind of important, but it's also kind of so particular that, again, you can't really attribute it to a bigger narrative. Then you hop over to Northwest Province, where the DA lost one ward to the Freyheids Front Plus. And this was, yeah, you know, I've JB got to disagree Marks with municipality. Which And JB Marks, by the way, it just is such a hilarious thing. So JB Marks' Potchestrom and Fentersdorp were combined, which is already kind of strange. Because they're already both pretty large. Uh, yeah, the ANC loves to squash municipalities together. It's been doing this for a long time. So they were combined together. And who is JB Marks that it's named after? They were going to name it after like a black dude who's like a hero to the Sutus and did amazing things in his life. Instead, they named it after this guy who was a communist party chairman in the 1930s, not particularly effective. Uh, the guy he was kind of in the same faction with went to Moscow and I think he was killed and JB Marx was also supposed to go to Moscow, but then he didn't go. And then the communist party was like, Oh, can't trust him. He's probably a spy. And then he joined the ANC. And he, I suppose he was like one of quite a few people who were in the ANC of white people who were in the ANC who'd, who'd, from the communist party. And his major achievement in life, is that he was the head of an ANC council in Gauteng and then ran for another election against Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela, and Mandela won, and JB Marx lost, and that's his great accomplishment. <laughs> and so, 
Vincent Dorp and Potterstrom together and name it after JB Marks. So it's just a delightful. <laughs> bit of also, once again, a uh, another uh, thing about naming naming stuff after very very ANC people, rather than sort what of shall we say more ANC than that. Like yeah, he literally you can't find yeah you it, I looked I couldn't find anything else to to speak to his uh, his honor other than the fact that he lost an internal ANC election to Mandela, which is <laughs> pretty cool. I got to say that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that gets you put in a footnote, which is always good. Um, yeah. But 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 you said you disagreed with Helen because Helen wrote an analysis of these by-elections. Uh, Helen yes. Zilla, that is. So, so Helen Zilla said that you know the DA's loss of award to the Freya's Front Plus is another indication, similar to the to the story against Good in the uh, in Ghoorg, is is sort of an indication that there's an ethnic splintering uh, happening in South African politics, and. You know, I read the headlines. I follow the news just as much as uh, as, as federal chairperson Zilla does. But I don't I don't uh, see that in the data of these particular elections. In other words, I'm not sure that her overall analysis is wrong. That uh, so, South Africans yeah, so there's, there's a, that there's, there's very, very, that there's ethnic and racial splintering. But if you look in this particular election, there's yeah, a very there's specific a, explanation of what happened. Right, which is that uh, <laughs> the DA voters just didn't come out to vote. The Freedom Front, you know, if you look at the percentages, they go from sort of, what, 30% in the award or something like that to, I think, 58. And you think, wow, that's amazing growth. And then you look at how many more votes they got this time than they got uh, in 2016, of course, um, you know, which was a very bad election for the Free Freedom Front. And they only got 165 more this election. It's because something like a 1,000 DA voters just stayed home. Yeah, um, which is a very two different thirds, thing to people swap swapping their votes, swapping to the Freya's Front Plus. So two thirds of the, of the people who voted for the DA in the last election in twenty twenty, in this yeah. little ward, in in this particular ward of um, of uh, JB Marks, and that's the one that flipped to the Freya's Front Plus. So you mustn't you mustn't read the wrong thing into that data. You right. you must like, so and people are bound to say. That uh, this shows that white people are running away from, I don't know, white Afrikaners are running away from John Stiernesen because he doesn't have the right accent or something. But it's not, uh, it's just not borne out by the facts. And it does remind me of the fact that, that almost certainty, it's, it's, it's hard to be 100% certain, but if you look at the exit poll data, if you look at the IEC data, it's almost certain that the DA had fewer black voters in 2019 national election than it did in 2014 national election. Right. Part of the thing you have to do with the maths is take into account the fact that voter turnout came out differently and so you've got proportional numbers uh, and you've got absolute number shifting. So there's a little bit of wiggle room. So it could be the same, maybe one or two more, but most likely, like with 95% confidence, it came down by a significant number, like six figures. Right. So right. five figures. So, and still, even though the DA almost certainly lost black voters, uh, under Maimani in the national election as compared with under Zilla in the previous national election. People, just the main takeaway from that national election was like, you know, the DA white Afrikaners are running away to the face front plus, which is, it just it just seems a little bit like we need to attend to the specifics right. and attend to we're, the numbers. We're also getting some little bit of a crossed wires here in the sort of mainstream analysis, which says uh, people of colors, to use the politically correct term, are running away from the DA because it's uh, turned towards these white racists. 
Well, then the same group that these commentators kind of refer to as the white racists, which is people vote for the Freedom Front, didn't all swarm back in droves. Uh, so I'm not really sure what their point here is. You see what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I agree. So again, just when you get particular, when you get to the, when you, when you think about the fact that a ward election is actually a constituency based election, you look at what's particularly going on here, by the way, why was there a, a by-election in this case is because the previous DA ward councillor died. He was an old man. He seems like he was a really good guy. He passed away in 2020 and the triggered the by-election and the person who came up in his stead, by the way, is like a, a, a cultural director at Artklop, which is the Afrikaans high culture, you know, they sponsor, you know, Afrikaans translations of Shakespeare and Chekhov. Right. And uh, it's it's really, if you're into Afrikaans work culture, she seems on the face of it at least to be an exciting candidate. Uh, but the main, to, to for, for that particular issue, but the main issue is just that two thirds of the DA voters didn't show up. And was that because of COVID? Was it because they were distracted? Or was it, I think most likely from, from, from someone I spoke to who, uh, knew a bit about the ground game is it just because people didn't know that there was much of an election coming because there wasn't uh, sufficient attention right. being drawn to it either and in I'm the sure, media or by local campaigning yeah i'm sure there's also of course uh, some people were kind of depressed because maybe they're still not 100 percent back on board of the party it's still a little bit depressed by it and so they say oh yeah. well you know uh do i do i really want to go out and vote for these guys uh, i don't care that much which is not a good place obviously for the da to be but it's a much better place than man i really hate these people i used to vote for i'm going to go vote for the other party yeah. um <laughs> you can really get voters back who are demotivated rather than than angry uh so let's move to uh to joburg the last which, one and the best yeah. one nick tell us so so joburg had had a bunch of by-elections at the da last no just um, tell us about the one because there's uh, three or four, but the one is the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just tell us the one. Yeah, and a, a lot of them, there's, there's a similar story. But the most interesting one is Ward 68. So Ward 68 is, you know, if you want to call something a swing, you know how they talk about uh, bellwether uh, voting districts. That's a voting district that's like, it. it you can draw a lot of other uh, ideas about how the election is going based on who wins here because it's extremely tightly fought, right? Uh, the DA first won it in 2011, um, and they put in a, a ward councillor. Now, I didn't know her, but the story I heard about her was that she she really just couldn't cope with it. It was she basically had if, effectively a nervous breakdown and she just wasn't able to deal with the job at all. Um, yeah, and there were, service, there were service delivery protests. It's a really bad ward in terms of it has lots of problems. Uh, it's got a big uh, informal settlement that's quite new there called um, Zomopilo, which the latest section of that is built over some gas and petrol lines um and there's also illegal mining activity there so one shudders yeah one shudders to think if those pipes get hit or something you're going to have a massive explosion which is not something nice to think about and yeah um the city uh, and that was actually partly because Herman Mashaba's government put toilets there um so people built over that area despite that local ward councillors warning them not to do that. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. Uh, the yeah, so 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 it's 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 quite poor. Um, you know, it's kind of lower middle class to very poor people living there. It's high uh, density, very high density. It's got lots of municipal issues. You know, like bad infrastructure, electricity being stolen all the time, stuff like that. So this this woman won it, and she got off on a 
wrong foot with some people in the community and uh, there were service delivery protests and she lived there, right? So they burned tires outside her wall or her, her, her house, um, you know, and she just kind of melted down. And the DA, and this is, I think, symptomatic of one of the long problems with the DA, they really kind of tried to sort of fix it without firing anyone. So for years and years, they had mentorship programs for her and they tried to kind of lift her up and all these things, but it just didn't work. And so eventually they fired her in about 2015. So then they had to find a new candidate and they found it in the name of a guy who I didn't know very well, but I sort of knew a guy called Basil Douglas. Basil worked uh, with various uh, sort of struggle groups in, during the, the apartheid years. Um, he became associated with the IFP um, in the in 1994. I think he became an MP for them for a short time. Uh, he was Long rumored to have been basically enforcing rent boycotts in the 90s by threatening to burn down people's houses. Um, well, of course, no court ever found such a thing, although he was never charged either. Uh, he also was, you know, a strange guy. He was very kind of proud of his street smarts and his 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 cunning. He, he saw himself as a bit of a military man. And he always claimed that he had received military training in Taiwan during apartheid and said that he was an expert in guerrilla warfare. Um which I was always slightly confused by because Vietnam I'd understand, but I'm not sure why he would have been in Taiwan. Taiwan, yeah, no. And I, yeah, I, everyone was kind of too sort of awkward, not wanting to really contradict him to really ask him to clarify. Maybe he did say the wrong thing, but anyway. <laughs> um, so strange guy, uh, kind of a real sort of street fighter type type of character and a very uh hard personality i think he was also a a school teacher for a while he may have been a principal for a while uh so he won that he won the by-election by a very narrow margin which is sort of 100 500 votes something like that and he won it again in 2016 and there was a lot of hope things would turn around to this guy he was tough he was able to take on the ward's problems but it didn't go so well um there were lots of stories that came out from residents there who said oh no he's drinking all the time uh he really got you know, uh, he fell out with the DA in a big way because uh, uh, he was very close with Patricia DeLille. He had joined the party as part of the ID's merger with the DA when Patricia DeLille joined the DA. Um, and so when the trouble started with her, his loyalty was far more to DeLille than it was to the party. And so he became very annoyed by this. Um, once again, the party was terrified because, remember, it was in this very delicate co coalition with uh, the EF well, sort of, I wouldn't call it. It wasn't exactly a coalition with the EFF because the EFF. Yeah, it was in a de facto coalition with the. EFF. They got very upset. Called <laughs> it a coalition, um, but they, you know, they had I'm this. Not, they, I'm not inside the DA. I the technical, I the technical, the technical term for it is a supply and confidence agreement. No, right, not the like the technical term for it is a marriage of convenience. Right. Anyway, it's when, you, it's when at the end of the party. No, well, there is an important difference, which is that. Around. Yeah, there is an important there is an important difference, which is that uh, the EFF never got positions officially, at least. <laughs> Although uh, there's some reason to think that they had a lot of influence uh, in in government. Nick, you're um, getting you, you take your old <laughs> DA ward councillor party protector hat off, and just be honest, the DA and no, no, it, and the no I think I, 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 and they yeah, can do so, they can so do the, the technical they definitely did. No, they definitely did. But what I'm saying is that they weren't officially supposed to, right? They weren't officially canoodling. They were just yes. Canoodling. They weren't officially canoodling. They were uh, canoodling behind everyone's back. 
<laughs> anyway, under the covers, which is the best way to canoodle. Anyway, so be- because so the city was so so, so narrowly hold, yeah, they didn't want to yes. fire him. They didn't want to discipline him, and he trigger he basically, a, yeah. If they fired him, it would trigger a by election, and then there'd be a contest, right. and then. Whenever there's an open official political contest, the ANC and the EFF and the DA would all be there and then they'd start right. sort of calling each other racist and corrupt and terrible and awful and all kinds of things. And it's very exactly. hard to conclude. And, and everyone everyone, everyone was scared, you know, it's such a narrow margin that they might be able to flip the seat, especially because voters would say, well, you've given us two bad councils in a row. Why should we trust you for the third time? Anyway. And overall, the JHB, the Johannesburg municipality, is kind of one of the most important and you just need to flip a couple of those wards and you tip the balance of forces. Yeah. So yeah, it really it, did it, matter. It was extremely, yeah. Uh, so they don't yeah. fire him, but eventually they do fire him. They do fire him because uh, he he just fell out more and more with the DAs, fighting with the leadership. Uh, he was he was struggling was with the him. the straw that broke the camel's back? Uh, I remember that day. It was, it was a very dark day. It was one of the days that basically kind of convinced me to leave the party. Basil stood up and he gave a speech in Afrikaans, which is his home language. And um, the EFF started to mutter and moan and shout. And they started saying from the benches, we will not hear that language within this chamber. That's a language that we will not tolerate here. And eventually the speaker addresses and says, what are you making noise about? What's the problem here? And the EFF says, no, 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 no. Uh, We don't have translators from Afrikaans into Venda. And therefore, we can't understand this at all. And so it can't be spoken here. Now, the Johannesburg language policy of the city says that there are four languages that are recognized by the city for official use. And they are Sutu, Zulu, Afrikaans, and English. Anyway, uh, the DA then went to caucus. And Mashava and the leadership in the city, Vasco da Gama and Kevin Wax, caved to the demands. And so they told Basil that he was not allowed to give his speech in Afrikaans. That is this canoodling. Was, That's what happens when you canoodle. This is very much canoodling because they did not want to upset the EFF. And uh, this is fairly typical of what kind of the sort of nonsense that went on in the DA while Musi was in charge. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure whether, you know, because they, I, I remember seeing phone calls presumably between national leadership and Mashaba. So I'm not sure to what extent he endorsed this decision, but uh, the final call was made by Mashaba, which is also why I don't buy his claims to be a non sort of non-racialist. He's clearly not super weighted to these principles. That aside, uh, this really annoyed Basil, as one might understand. It also outraged a lot in the DA caucus, although ultimately nothing came of that. Um, but it's one of the reasons why many people in the DA caucus were happy to see Mashaba go. Uh, Basil disengaged from the party pretty much then. And when Mashaba resigned in 2019, uh, Basil went and voted for the ANC uh, to take over the city. That caused him to get fired immediately by the party <laughs> because if there's one thing you, you can't get away with in a political party is breaking the whip, breaking the party line. Um, then went to another by-election, which was suspended for a while. And during that time, the Patriotic Alliance, which is Gaten McKenzie's political party yeah uh, no, so hold on so slow down slow down before we get to get mckenzie i just want to put a just underline this point so this guy has perhaps been trained in guerrilla warfare in taiwan he's definitely been in the ifp he's been in the id he's probably enforced grand boycotts he was then in the da and the thing that ultimately broke the camel's back was the fact that he wanted to speak his home language afrikaans which is officially recognized in the Johannesburg City Council, 
And that was prevented by Herman Mashaba and the EFF. And the EFF. I think, I don't think that if you, I think if you made that up, if you made like a little, you know, if you, <laughs> if you had like a Law and Order episode or some kind of TV show like Veep or whatever set in South Africa, and this was the career trajectory of a <laughs> fictional character, I think the reviewers would pan you for being ridiculous, and, and, and ridiculously here's, fantastic. And, and here's another little detail, right? Which is because he and another DA councillor called, uh, I think it's Kishore, defected and voted for the ANC mayor in Joburg. The EFF didn't have to uh, take part in the election of the uh, Johannesburg mayor. So he gave, their final gift was a gift to the EFF and the ANC because the EFF could say, oh, we never voted for the for the ANC mayor and the ANC got back in power. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And then <laughs> and then just when you thought the story was was already unbelievable, enter Gaten McKenzie, who I have wow. a history with that I think I've mentioned on the show before, because yeah. when I was in Matric at high school, I wrote my independent drama project about Gaten McKenzie. I studied his story, I wrote a play about him. Basically he was a cape colored gangster, kingpin, and uh, had been involved in very many heinous crimes. And his conversion story basically happened when a young white kid was arrested for drunk driving or something. And some of the prisoners bribed one of the guards to put him in a cell with them. And he was gang raped. This, this young teenager was gang raped several times. And as they were taking turns, Gaten was sort of on the other end of the cell. And it was just a very normal thing. And he was having like a cup of tea and playing some cards. And then he walked over him to go take a a leak and then he walked back and as he stepped over this kid sort of looked up into his face and said please kill me and there was just this moment of human connection that made him realize that uh the life he was that made Gaten realize the life he was involved with was sadistic and cruel and so he cleaned up his act got out of jail and became a motivational speaker and he was a really great motivational speaker and i'm really really for people who who go through who do their time in jail who take the shame and then try to pick themselves up and try and try and add some value to the world. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the prison reformer. You know, I think people must guilty people must go to jail first. There's a silly shortcut that sometimes happens in the ANC um, where you sort of get accused of corruption. Lots of evidence gets brought and then uh, you undergo what is called trial by media, which is considered to be so stressful that uh, you get to skip going to jail and, and you come out a reformer. <laughs> I'm not into that, but I think if you go to jail and you do your time and you come out, we as society must reintegrate you and you must reintegrate yourself into our society, into society, and we can all add value together. So I'm a big fan of Gabe McKenzie, but he definitely has a strange backstory. And then it gets even stranger if you look at his sort of political interventions. And he's right. been sort of accredited he, with some great yeah. corruption busting, but also criticized for getting in bed with some of the worst uh, and there's illicit been, yeah, there's, cartels. There's there's recently been allegations that he's basically taken over because he went into coalition government with the ANC and was given the economic development portfolio. And there are allegations that he basically took that over um, and ran it like a sort of medieval fiefdom and handed out power to all of his allies and that kind of thing. Now, that's obviously, once again, still needs to be proven. But, the, but he does have a lot of money and he used a lot yes. of money to go and win this election. So now yes. you've got this contested election. And uh, by the, the way... Disappears from the ward for a few months, right? Because of COVID. Because uh, they all kind of bunkered down. And Gaten goes in and he he really, he really, uh, he, he, he went all out. Uh, 
allegedly his activists were being paid 250 rand a day to be there, which is like unheard of. A lot of parties will pay activists an amount or give them food or something to work for a day, especially in poor areas. But 250 rand is like, you know, <laughs> way above the normal going rate. Uh, he personally repaired uh, the LARPA of the old age home. He worked in all the, you know, he, he, he went completely all out. Um, there were kind of food parcels and talks. Uh, the DA candidate at one point made a mistake of not going to a debate because they were worried that uh, uh, they would be, the, the, the audience would be hostile and just shut them down. They wouldn't be able to say anything. Um, but that probably hurt them too. And the PA won. They, uh, they came out of nowhere. It's the first award they've won in the whole country. And they took it from the DA, which is... I wouldn't. I, I honestly, I when I because I, I followed the campaign quite closely. Um, I must say, I would never have really seen the PA winning. I thought the ANC would win because the PA would do well. Uh, but it just shows that, you know, if you put in the work on the ground, and if you put in a lot of resources, and if you really encourage, you know, if you if if the other party has a bad track record, as the DA in that ward did, then it, you shouldn't be particularly surprised um, <laughs> if you win. And once again, it has very little to do with what was going on in national politics. It's all to do with what was going on on the ground. So there you have it. And uh, as a as a as a final pin in it, um, Basil passed away this year. Yes, yes. Uh, in uh, uh, I believe he passed away in August, at the end of August. So rest in peace. So yes. so that gives you that gives you a sense of the the four, you know if the first narrative is that the DA's national leadership is too white and so that's why they lost wards and the second narrative is that the DA is anti BE and that's too confusing to people and that's why they lost and the third narrative is that the DA didn't really lose um, I don't know how to put the fourth narrative that we've just laid out <laughs> in a soundbite uh, but that's partly why I think it's interesting. You know, I think that there are people at the bottom of the story, voters of people, politicians of people, and at least at ward level, where it really is constituency based, where there really is an intimacy between the political representative and the people being represented. It just stands to abstract reason that you might find um, that there's a story for every ward. And we just did a little yeah. bit of investigation. And that's what we happened to find in this case. So. Right. Right. I think that's interesting, and I think it's. I think it's, you know, in in in. in Look, I think. Uh, I think you can draw some conclusions also about. Remember the case for federalism. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think you can also draw some conclusions about the DA as a national party, though, uh, and one of them is that. A lot, some of their candidate selection has been pretty bad. Um, yeah. And when when you're a party that really sells itself, you say you vote for us because we give you good candidates and good governance, you know, and then you produce bad governance and bad candidates. Voters are really not going to forgive you for that. Um, and so th that's probably something that DA does need to tighten up, which is which is is and 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 some of that I'm sure was was the legacy of 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 um, making expedient political choices, saying this candidate we think looks good for this ward regardless of whether they're actually good or not um they kind of you know on paper look good because you know they're maybe the right race the right gender or they happen to live there or whatever um and therefore we're going to put them up as a candidate rather than going through the hard work of saying no let's put in a candidate who is uh you know 
maybe will need to work a little bit better because on paper they don't look so obviously good for a ward, but ultimately will probably be a better candidate. Um, and if they can solve that problem, then I think they'll be in a much better place. Mm. Yeah. I and think that's accountability. It hurts. It hurts. It's indeed. irritating. It's irritating to have to do a good job, and it's much it's, and it's a good place <laughs> right. to be in. I think we are pretty much out of time now. So uh, recommendations. Do you have any? Uh, <laughs> I guess we could just recommend the piece we just talked about, but that would seem to be a little bit of a cop no, out. No, I don't think you have to. I think if you heard this, you don't need to read the piece. But we did write a yeah. piece. Uh, together for the first time in the Daily Friend. My rec- my first recommendation is uh, is kind of a silly, serious one. Like, I just recommend that we all get tests to see if we've had COVID. Not to yes, see if you yes. have it, but to get the, the antibody test it. to see if yeah. you have had it. Because at this stage, I'm thinking to myself, I got COVID, I got tested to see if I do have it back in the day. Uh, and that cost me 400 rand and it was a bit of a schlep, but it wasn't that bad. And it was well worth the money just to know that I don't have it. Although, of course, I might have actually had it and I just got the test at a stage when my viral load was too low for it to be detected. But right. I think at this stage, if you look at how many people have paid to have it private test, had to have private tests, if half that number, if a tenth of that number paid to have serological tests, that is to have tests to see whether you have had it in the past, we'd be in a much, much better place to see if we really have reached herd immunity, in which case uh, we can make decisions on that basis, or to see if we're really far from herd immunity, in which case we can make decisions on that basis. And ignorance is bliss if you don't have to make decisions. And we really have to make decisions. uh, And so I wish we could do that. And I don't know why it's not available. I've been trying to look around. If any of our listeners find a way to get a serological test, I would I would gladly spend 400 bucks. You know, it's like it's two nights out on the town. Very glad to do that. Right. Definitely. Uh, to 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 figure out for myself and to figure out and to be part of, you know. Uh, the grand experiment, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I can't think of anything good to recommend. So instead, I'll recommend something I wrote, which is a... Uh, piece on the US election. Um, it's making a point that both Gabriel and I have made about how, uh, you know, uh, d- d- for ex- the Republicans and Trump did better with minority voters uh, than many people expected them to. Um, and uh, basically, the piece is about how, you know, the demographics of a country on do not create some sort of trajectory of of inevitability that politics is going to be frozen in place because people just vote by their tribe and race and culture and all that in fact things do change and they're far more fluid than you'd think anyway so that's also yeah. on the daily friend and it's called demographics are not destiny um and then another thing to just keep your eye out for going forward is uh sia boga michael who, who confessed to being one of the killers the the rafferty killers that that farm murder case in newcastle uh that came up a couple of months ago that we covered uh, quite a lot at the daily friend uh he uh had the option to appeal for bail he wouldn't have necessarily gotten it um but he said no i'd rather just stay in jail and he's now changed his mind so he's got a bail hearing coming up in two days and i think the timing is just really funny i mean i don't think it's actually connected but i think the timing is hilarious given that like bail is on the forefront of all South Africans' minds because of the great Malawian preacher who got out on bail and then <laughs> fled the country. 
So it's yeah. like hard not to just imagine a scene where this guy's sitting in jail and he's like, oh, hold on. <laughs> get some bail and go to Malawi. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that's really what happened, but I am saying that there are interesting things that I do. There are not precedents. And keep a look out for that story because it's a, it's a telling one. Right, right. All right. Um, w- one more question for you, Gabriel. When are you going to be back from the farm? Because... Uh, you know, we always have worse signal when you're on the farm side. So I'm just what, curious to know when you'll return to the glorious metropolis of Southern, of Johannesburg. I uh, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe this week. Maybe next week. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, then I think that's all the time we have for today. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and keep the flag of liberty flying. Kr 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 kr.